Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, we're going to start 2022 with a pop quiz. I mean, when I look out and I see all of your eyes, I know you're all test takers. When I said quiz, you all got excited about it. You all thought, this is perfect. Exactly how I wanted to start the new year was with a test. If you go back to when you're little and they said it's test time, you guys were the ones that were excited about it, right? And so we're gonna start with a quiz. This is what I wanna do. I'm gonna give you some questions. These are just some great questions I've figured uh, that I wanna ask you for 2022. Your job is to look at your neighbor and tell them your answer, all right? We're gonna see how you do with these questions, all right? So let's go ahead and start. Question one, how long did the 100 years war last? All right? Everybody got it? All right, who said 100 years? You're wrong, it's not 100 years. 116 years was the 100 year war, all right? They don't, why do they not call it the 116 year war? I don't know, but it's 100 year war. All right, here's, here's another good one, you ready? In what month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? All right. I don't know if we got any Russians in here that are gonna nail this one, but uh, um, how, what month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? Answer, November. I, don't, I just found these questions. I, I'm not the one getting, making the answers up, all right? All right, here's one. What was King George IV's first name? King George IV. Is anybody else feeling like this is a trick question. It is, his name's Albert. I don't know. King George IV's first name was Albert, I don't know. All right, last one, this is a visual. So go ahead and turn your attention to the screen. This is a great one. Who, who painted this beautiful picture? Who painted this beautiful picture? It's a great piece of art, everybody know? All right, I heard somebody down the front say, I'm pretty sure that Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa, but I feel like this is a trick, <laughs> right? It's right, it's a kind of a trick question again. This painting is not the original Mona Lisa. <laughs> so check this out. That painting is a counterfeit that was painted by an unknown artist in the 17th century that this year sold for $3.6 million dollars. It is a replica, it's fake, it's not even genuine. This, there was an easy test to determine that it was a fake. So I found this out doing all my wonderful research late last night. All right, listen to this. The Mona Lisa was painted on a wood panel. 
This painting, known as the Hecking Mona Lisa, was painted on canvas. An easy test to determine it's not real. It's not on wood panel. It's on canvas. Therefore, it's a fake. But someone thought it was worth enough to spend $3.6 million on a non-genuine fake piece of work, all right? So why are we taking tests? Why are we talking about fake works of art? Why are you tricking us with all this stuff? Well, because in our text this morning, John is going to share two tests. He's gonna give us two tests, and we're gonna get to look at these tests, and it's gonna determine whether or not we really know God personally. It's going to allow us to have assurance that we're truly children of God. It's going to let us know if our, fake, if our faith is either genuine or fake. It's gonna let us know whether our faith is, is genuine or it's, it's fake. And I was thinking about this, you know, even today, uh, when we come through and we look in regards to what, what we're gonna be talking about, I want us to go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter two. 1 John chapter two. We're going to be able to read through that. And if you would go ahead and stand out of the reverence for God's word, I'm going to read verses three through 11. I'm gonna read verses three through 11. So 1 John chapter two, verses three through 11. And John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the following. And by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but it's an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You may be seated. Before we jump into our text, let me give you a little background on John's writing. He's actually writing to confront false teachers in the churches of his time. There were teachers in the churches who were going around, and this is what they were saying. They were saying that only the spiritually elite, only people with like special knowledge, the people that were in the in crowd, that they knew whether they were going to heaven or not. And the rest of us ignorant people, well, we, we didn't know, we couldn't know whether we were gonna go to heaven or not. And I'll tell you, that, that kind of thought is still prevalent even in some religious groups today. I mean, there's some religious groups today that'll still go out and they'll say, hey, listen, we're not really sure if you're gonna go to heaven or not, so here's the deal. You need to work really hard. I mean, go ahead and, and dot all your I's and cross all your T's, do the best you can, look good, smell good, feel good, and when you die, man, maybe you'll get to go to heaven. And, and listen, we don't really know, so just die, and then when you get there, let's find out, right? And John would come back, and, and he would say, hey, that kind of thinking, he would call that stinking thinking. 
Because what he says in our, our scripture, what he says when he writes, he comes back and he says, anyone can know that they're going to heaven. I mean, anyone can do that. Later in the letter, uh, here in 1 John, later in the letter, he says as much, and I'll, I'll quote it, it's 1 John 5.13. In 1 John 5.13, he says this, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says that we can know. As Christians, we can have absolute assurance of where we're gonna spend our eternity when we leave this earth. No secret sauces needed, right? You're not, you, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to die and wait and figure it out. He says that we can know. And so what you're thinking now is, okay, so how? How can we know? You've built it up, so how can we know? And like I said earlier, John's gonna give us two tests. And in these two tests, he's gonna help us know how we can know. And if we answer correctly with our lives, then we can have that assurance. These are not tricky questions like I gave you before. These are pretty straightforward. So let's go ahead and jump to the first test. The first test is what I call the moral test. Moral test. Here's the deal. Moral test has one question. That's it. There's only one question in the moral test. Do you obey the commandments of God? Do you obey the commandments of God? Some of you may recognize the name Chuck Colson. He was a former member here at First Naples. Uh, some of you may also remember him uh, out of Watergate fame or maybe from his ministry prison fellowship. Uh, but Mr. Colson wrote a book that he titled Loving God. And in the book, this is, this is what Mr. Colson said. He said, the essence of the Christian life is obedience. The essence of the Christian life is obedience. In his book, this is just a paraphrase out of his book. He says this, he says, but how do we love the Lord, we ask? Well, Jesus answered this in a discussion with his disciples. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And then John later writes, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This is the love of God if we keep his commandments. So to love God is to obey God. To love God is to obey God. And then we jump down into verse three of our text here in 1 John chapter two. And it says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So to love God is to obey God and to know God is to obey God. To love God is to obey God and to know God is to obey God. And, and John teaches us it's in this obedience, and here in verse three, it's in this obedience that reveals the genuineness of our faith. How gen is, our, is, our fake, is our faith fake or is it genuine? And John says, hey, listen, I can tell you really quick in the first test, I can tell you how genuine your faith is. How, how do you know God and how do you love God? And it's in that personal relationship with him it's gonna reveal your obedience to his commandments. He even takes obedience a step further. Here in the next three verses, he throws out a couple of things that our obedience will reveal in our personal lives, like in our daily activity, certain things that our obedience reveals. In verse four, he says it reveals the authenticity of our confession. How real 
was our confession. In verse five, he talks about the maturing of our love. And in verse six, he'll talk about what it, it reveals the growth in our Christ-likeness. Like all of these things, he said, our obedience will reveal. Like if I was gonna paraphrase verses four through six. So we're not talking first John anymore. Now we're in first Chris. And so in first Chris, I was gonna paraphrase these three verses. I would say this, the best proof of you being a Christ follower is really that you obey the commandments and stop sinning. The best proof of you being a Christ follower is that you obey the commandments and that you stop sinning. Also, if you're gonna call yourself a Christian, start acting like one. Don't be a hypocrite. In verses four through six, that's really how John's coming out. He's like, hey, if you're gonna call yourself a Christian, guess what? You should act like one. Now, here's the deal. John's not saying that as Christians, we never sin, right? I mean, even a couple of sentences before our text, if you go back to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we know that we've all, fall, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what John says to us as Christ followers is that we're not, he's not expecting perfection. There was one perfect one, Amen. And we, we are trying to get there. So he's not expecting perfection, but he is expecting progress. I mean, he is expecting us to move forward. As we grow in our relationship with God, as, as we go deeper in our faith, this is what when scripture talks about that you go from milk to meat, right? As you grow in your faith, that it's going to show up, not just in your beliefs. I believe this. I believe this. I have confidence in this. I believe this. It's also going to show up in your daily activities. It's going to show up in how you respond. It's going to show up in how you speak. It's going to show up in how you think. It's going to show up because you're maturing in your Christ-likeness. The I was telling, uh, I was telling Cannon um, this week, we were talking, we were having a discussion. Cannon's my little man, nine years old, and we were having this great discussion, and we were talking this. And I told him, I said, hey, buddy, junk in, your, junk in your ears means junk coming out of your mouth. Junk in, junk out. And so in this, this is saying, hey, it's not saying that you've gotta be perfect, but it is saying, hey, there's gotta be some progress. We gotta have, we just gotta be shown our daily behavior. I read this, and so I can't take credit for this sentence. This is good, though. Listen to what it says. We will trust that God has our best interest in mind, so our response will be that we're willing to do what he asks, even if we don't understand why. Let me read that again. We will trust that God has our best interest in mind, and so our response is that we are willing to do what he asks, even if we don't understand it. Heard a pastor one time say, my yes is on the table and I don't even know the question. Why? Because I trust in you. We simply obey because we recognize that God is God and because of that, he knows what's right. And so we're going to obey. Now I want you to know that some of you have tried to pass this moral test the wrong way because you tried to do it in your own strength. You've tried to say, hey, I'm gonna follow the commandments. I'm gonna watch them. I'm gonna try to do them all myself. I'm gonna try to do them on all strength. But I think we've probably, most of us figured out, we can't pass the moral test. We can't obey God just on our own strength because we're, we're gonna fall short. We've gotta have Jesus in us. We need him to empower us. We need him 
to help us say no to sin and yes to God. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said when he was like, why do I keep doing what I'm not supposed to do and why do I not do what I know I'm supposed to be doing? I mean, I think that's a a battle that we all face because it's a battle between our new spiritual self and the old fleshly self that's in constant battle with each other, constantly fighting each other. And what we're doing is we're just trying to say, well, I'm just gonna overcome that on my own. And next thing you know, you've fallen again and you're struggling again and you're in the same place. And so what we realize is that we can't pass along. Scripture tells us that we've got to abide in him. Whoever, this is verse six, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Well, how do we walk in the same way in which he walked? We can't do it on our own. We have to what? Abide in him. We've got to come in and say, hey, I want to walk in the same way in which he walked, not in our own strength, but in his strength. And listen, you can't do that unless you have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, unless you're being led by the Spirit. You have to abide in him. Now, abide's a great word, isn't it? Everybody say abide. Now, I looked it up because I'm from Georgia. And so abide literally, this is the literal dictionary meaning of abide. To remain in the same place, to make oneself at home. To abide in Christ. To remain in the same place, to make oneself at home. So, oh. I said I'm from Georgia, so I've got to come up with a better way to figure out what words mean, all right? So I've got an illustration for you. I shared this illustration in midweek with our men at Band of Brothers a couple of months ago, but anytime I think of the word abide, I have an illustration. So uh, just by show of hands, how many of you like to grill out? How many of you like to grill? Some of you don't, all right? So uh, in, in grilling, like grilling out, like I love here in Florida, I love to go on the back, get out the grill, throw some steak and some chicken on the grill. I love to do that. And so when we do that, I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't go to the store, just get the chicken, walk out and throw it on the grill. If I did that, I would end up with a very bland piece of chicken. So at our house, what we do is I go and I get the chicken, I open it up, and then I either drop it in like a big baggie of marinade, or I get like a big dish, have a bunch of stuff in it, I throw it in there, and I let it marinate, right? And so when I think of the word abide, I think of the word marinate. And you're thinking, that doesn't make any sense, right? I want that chicken to set in that marinade and soak up all that flavor, right? I mean, I want it to to taste good. I've found that when you marinate chicken, it actually tastes like whatever you're marinating it in. And the longer that you marinate it, guess what? The stronger the taste is. Now, why do I think of the word marinate when I think of abide? Well, the more I'm abiding with God, the more I'm able to soak in his flavor. The more that longer, the longer I abide in God, the more I act like him. If it's junk in, junk out, then that means good in, guess what comes out? Good. So I want more of Jesus. So I want to marinate. I want to abide in him so I can soak up all of his flavor. It's, remember, trying to achieve the moral test, trying to live the life that Christ wants you to live, you've got to abide in him. You've got to soak in him. You can't do it in your own strength. So let me ask you this. How are you doing in the moral test? How are you doing? 
If you have genuine faith, the result's gonna be in your obedience. How, how are you doing? It's going to change the way you live. If you're willing to submit to God and live, you've gotta do it as if he knows best what's best for your life. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the second test. John gives us a, a final test. The final test is a relational test. The relational test. Again, this one has one question. Do you love others? Do you love others? John quickly reminds us in our text that the commandment to love one another, that's not a new idea. He says it's actually an old one. It's actually an old idea. It's a commandment, he says, that you've heard from the beginning. It goes all the way back to Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus where God tells Moses to tell the people, hey, this is what you should do. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says that it's old. But in verse eight in our text, this is what John says. He says at the same time, a new commandment that he's wrote to them, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He says it's a new commandment. Though we were called to love one another before Christ was born on this earth and before he came, he says at the, at the same time, this is what John 13, 34 records. This is what Jesus says when he's here. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now listen, Jesus is saying, here's a new commandment I'm giving to you, love one another. Well, didn't we just say that God told in Exodus, told Moses, tell the people, hey, Love, go out and love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's Jesus saying, hey, I've got a new commandment to give to you. Love one another. But listen to what Jesus says next. He says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. I mean, the commandment to love one another was old, but the example, now that was brand new, right? Jesus says, hey, here's the deal. Like, you know how you've been loving people? Okay, now you look at how I'm loving people and let's see how you're doing. Jesus came into the world loving people only in the way that Jesus could love one another, right? The world had never seen a display like Jesus was displaying and everyone was amazed at how he did that and he just did it by demonstrating everyday love in his everyday life. And Jesus said, hey, look, it's an old commandment, but I've got something new for you. Do it like I do it. And so John comes back and says to the readers, to the people in the church, to us, he says, do you love others like Jesus loves others? And then in our text, he introduces two men. The first man says he's like Jesus, but he's really not genuine because he hates his brother. John says that even though he makes this big claim that he's in the light, he's very misinformed. John actually envisions a man who is totally lost in the dark, right? He, he's incapable of sight. He is so blinded that he doesn't even know where he's go, going. He's just stumbling around. I picture, and I know you've done this, you ever walked into a dark room and you're trying to find the light switch, and you just are so blinded that you're trying to remember how many steps is it to the bed. 
and you're feeling around on the walls, stumbling around, hoping you don't crash into something that you forgot was in the floor, and you're just feeling for it, and you're completely blind. That's what I picture here. Why is he blind? Scripture says because he hates his brother. And then he gives another comparison. He gives a second man who John says is in the light. Why is he in the light? Because he loves his brother. And in contrast, he says this man's life, his whole life is illuminated because he's living in the place where light pours down. And since this man is walking with God and God is light, the man's life is full of light. I mean, it comes in and it says he's not blind. It gives a parallel. He's not blind. He says he can see. He, he, there's something about walking alongside God and him directing our steps that John says there's no cause for stumbling. I mean, it's this perfect illustration on both, both sides. There's no cause for stumbling. And so my question to you is how are you doing in the relational test? How are you doing in it? If you have genuine faith, it'll result in you loving others like Jesus loved others. I think, unfortunately, we've all met some people who say that they're religious, but their actions don't back it up. A.C. Ulmer had a quote, I love this. It says, your actions speak so loud, I can hardly hear what you're saying. Your actions speak so loud that I hardly hear what you're saying. It's like the person who says, I'm sorry, and then they punch you in the face again. Guess what? Their words are meaningless. People say the right things, but they're not living the right life. And so John says, hey, if you don't love others, if you hate your brother, you're not passing the test. Now, just like the first test in this one, same rules apply. You can't do it on your own strength. I'll tell you this. I think it's a lot easier to love others when they're a lot like you. Amen? People that act like you, have the same morals as you, think like you, it's a lot easier to love them and spend time with them. Now, if they're not like you, that's a different story, isn't it? It's a lot harder to love someone who is not like you. And so in the same way for our uh, first test, we come into this test and the same, same thing applies. You can't do it under your own strength. You're gonna have to be empowered by the Spirit of God. He's got to help us love as he loves. You can't do it on your own. Only way that you can love the way he loves is if you've invited Jesus into your life and you say, I'm gonna trust you and I wanna follow you and I wanna grow in you and I want my faith to be real and I wanna be able to follow through with that. So the only way that we can pass it is to say, all right, God, I want you to work through me. I thought about something Paul said in Ephesians 3.17 in 3.17, Paul encourages us to let our roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Let your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And man, I love that because in the same way that a tree draws nutrition from the soil, it tells us that we can dive deep into God's love and draw nutrition out for us to go through our everyday lives. I was thinking uh, in how I wanted to close uh, from these tests, and, and I remembered a, a story that I heard a couple of uh, years ago from another pastor. He was uh, sharing this story uh, on his podcast, and so I was listening to it. It really challenged me, and I thought, man, I'm going I'm to share this tonight. I think it goes really well with what we're talking about. 
So this is what this pastor said. He said a few, a few years ago, he had a missionary come to his church and the missionary was telling a beautiful story about sharing the gospel to a remote tribe in Papua New Guinea. And so this missionary's coming and he's telling this story and at the end, the missionary told the church, he said, I should really give the credit to Vaughn, my former youth pastor who loved me and he, he inspired me to live for Christ and share the gospel with others. So this missionary talks about Vaughn, his former youth pastor. And so the pastor's like, that's really cool. So the next, next week, they've got another guy coming in and uh, this guy's challenging the church to sponsor kids that were living in poverty. And this second the second guy that was speaking at, at, at this church, he said, I'm involved in this ministry because of my youth pastor, a guy named Vaughn. And so this pastor was doing the podcast. He was like, it was on that day that I found out the last two guest people that I was having share in ministry, they went to the same youth group, right? I got these two guys who were talking about, he said, it was so weird, just kind of caught me. And so he said, a couple of weeks later, one of our local mission partners had come in and he was sharing to our church and, it, and what he was doing, he was really trying to get people to partner with him to go into a rescue mission that was deep in the inner city. And so after he was finished speaking, this pastor was talking to one of the local, this local guy, and he, uh, he said, uh, hey, Dan, uh, man, thank you so much for sharing. He's like, let me tell you something crazy that's happened. A couple weeks ago, I had these two speakers come in. They both came from the same youth group. Their youth pastor was this guy named Vaughn. So crazy, I can't believe that that took place. And all of a sudden, Dan, the guy, the, mission, the local guy said, Vaughn, man, I know him. I, I know the Vaughn you're talking about. He said, he's not a youth pastor anymore. He's actually a pastor. I connected with him because now he goes into Tijuana and helps all these starving kids and he takes teams with him. And I went like last year. He said, I went to Tijuana with the Vaughn. Now, how weird is that? And the pastor was like, are you serious? Like, this is, this is, this is, this is a, a, a divine appointment that you're talking. You know, he's, he's going on. He said, man, I, we would walk. This is, this is what Dan said. He said, we would walk Tijuana and these kids would just run up to him and he would show such deep love and affection for them. He said, he'd been to Tijuana before, all the kids would see him, they'd run up to him and he'd hug them and, and he would give them gifts and he would help them with food and he'd figure out how to get them showers and how to get them clothing. And, he's, and this is Dan. Dan said, the whole time that I was walking with Vaughn in Tijuana, I kept thinking, if Jesus was on earth, I think this is what it would feel like to walk with him. He said, Vaughn loved everyone he ran into. And he'd tell them all about Jesus. Like all the kids, he'd tell them about Jesus. And people just kept flocking to him because of his love and his affection. He was like a magnet. And all these kids would just run to him. Dan said, listen to this. The day I spent with Vaughn was the closest thing I've ever experienced to walking with Jesus. The day I spent with Vaughn was the closest thing I've ever experienced to walking with Jesus. And I heard that a couple of years ago and I'll, I'll confess to you guys the same thing that the pastor on his podcast confessed. I wonder, would anyone say that about me? Would there be anybody who said that their time spent with me was the closest thing that they've ever experienced? walking with Jesus. Man, it challenged me. Can I challenge you? Would anybody say that about you?
Would anyone say that the time they spend with you is the closest that they've ever come to walking with Jesus? And I'll tell you, I can't answer that for you, but I sure can't answer it for me. I want my life to be known. That guy's a lot like Jesus. That I want to be a reflection. I want to be a mirror. I want to walk in the same way in which he walks. I want to love in the same unconditional, sacrificial way that Jesus loves. I want to marinate in him so that I can live like him. And I'll tell you, by doing that and knowing that's my heart, I have the assurance that when I leave this earth, that I'm going to spend eternity with my Lord and with my Savior. Hey guys, I know. I have no doubts. I know that I know. And can I be real? I want you to know this morning as well. I mean, if you can't say, I know, and you can't say it with an exclamation point, then can I encourage you that at the end of the service, we're gonna have the Lord's Supper here in a moment, but at the end of the service, there's gonna be pastors up, and all you have to do, listen, all you have to do is come up and say, hey, I wanna know. And our pastor will say, hey, and they'll start, they'll talk to you, we'll walk through some things with you, but when you say, hey, I don't know, then we want you to. We don't want you to leave this room. We want, don't want you to go into another day in 2022 without knowing. I can't think of a better way to start off the new year, amen? And if you desire to start 2022 out of obedience, maybe you, you, you think, man, I've been putting off baptism and I, I wanna walk uh, in obedience in the Lord, then come forward to one of the pastors. Maybe you want to come up and you wanna partner in the church and you wanna say, hey, I wanna reach Naples to the nations for Christ and I wanna join this church, then come forward at the end of the service and let's get plugged in. Let's, let's talk about how you can do that. But let's not miss the opportunity that we have this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that when we look at scripture and it impacts us in such a powerful way, knowing that it was written so long ago, but Lord, it feels like it was written for us this morning. The challenge to say, if we're gonna call ourselves a Christ follower, then it's time for us to act like it. Lord, what a challenge we have to kick off this year. But Lord, even more than that, it's the assurance of where we'll spend our eternity. Lord, nothing else is this big as the question of where will you spend eternity? So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity for us to be bold, to live out a life that's obedient to you, that's full of love. May we show that in our everyday walk. Will you empower us? And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you please stand? All that I am, all that I have, I lay them down before you, O oh Lord. 
all my regrets, all my acclaim, the joy and the pain, I'm making them yours. Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've Use it for your glory, Lord, I offer my days to you, lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he ate the Passover meal with his disciples. And this meal is what we now refer to as the Last Supper. But during this meal, Jesus instituted the ordinance of the Lord's Supper when he told his followers to do this in remembrance of me. And so by partaking of the Lord's Supper, those of us that have trusted in Christ as our Savior and we followed him in believers' baptism, we get to commemorate the death and sacrifice of Jesus. And while this ordinance is solemn, it's, it's not a funeral, it's actually a celebration. We get to celebrate that the fact that death couldn't hold him and that he's gonna come again soon, amen? And so if you'll go ahead and take your elements, if you'll take out your bread, The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for what it represents. Your sinless, perfect son. And we rejoice, Lord, in all that he has done. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So take and eat, for this is Jesus' body. Now carefully peel back the cup. The Bible says in the same way, 
Also, he took the cup after supper and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Christ. And Father, as we think of your sacrifice, we say thank you. Lord, thank you, thank you. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So take and drink. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Can we close in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the Lord's Supper. Thank you for the intentional opportunity to remember the sacrifice that was made on the cross. The sacrifice that was made in that empty tomb and the reminder that you will return again. Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.